Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. This week's mama is not one to be messed with. I've known about this tale previously as it involves a real-life person from American history. Many either believe that she meant to cause the trouble she did, or that she was the victim of the American healthcare system. Either way, this mama did leave in her trail a series of deaths. The more I researched, the more interested I became of the story of Miss Mallon. I particularly enjoyed her reaction to attempts to persuade her to be tested, but we'll get to that soon enough. Maybe I feel I understand Mary's plight because of that good old Irish sentiment of your business is your business, which my beloved grandmother lived by. Anyway, I'll lay out the facts and you decide what to make of this week's mama. With that, let's get down to the business. This week's topic is Typhoid Mary. To really understand Mary's story, we need to look at the typhoid illness as it stood in history before she got thrown into the mix. The actual bacillus responsible for the disease was found in 1880. Before that, however, a German internist named Karl Liebermeister and his colleagues tried to prove that the spread of typhoid was caused by drinking water contaminated by the excrement of those who were infected with the fever. Finally, in 1873, a Bristol doctor, William Budd, found that a specific toxin in the excrement of infected patients could, in fact, spread typhoid fever through water. After many years trying to pinpoint the location of the disease causing bacterium in the body, in 1879, it was found isolated in the abdominal lymph nodes as well as the spleen. This new genus was named Salmonella, and because it was new scientific knowledge, this made the concept of contagion mechanisms, as well as the existence of healthy carriers, unknown to health professionals. Which brings us to Mary's story. Born Mary Mallon on September 23, 1869, in Cookstown, Ireland, a town named I, and I'm sure many listeners, will find increasingly ironic as the story goes on, She emigrated to the United States around 1883 or 1884. In the summer of 1906, Mary was hired to work for the Warrens, a wealthy family that rented a summer home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. The home belonged to a George Thompson, who rented out the home frequently, as well as hired an entire staff to attend the families. Mary was amongst this wave of hiring and took up the position of house cook. On August 27, 1906, one of the Warren daughters was the first to come down with a case of typhoid fever. Within the next few days, the illness struck Mrs. Warren as well as two maids, eventually taking a hold of six out of the eleven people present in the house. Fearing he would be unable to rent this property again, Thompson hired sanitary engineer George Soper to investigate the cause of the typhoid outbreak. Originally believing the soft-bellied clams the family consumed from the area to be the source, this theory was squashed when some infected claimed to not have eaten the seafood. 
After further testing of those in the household, Soper claimed that Mary had a very mild case of typhoid fever. Three weeks post the outbreak, Malin left the summer home to start working as a cook with another wealthy family. From March of 1907, Soper began to follow Mary at her new job in Manhattan after discovering some vital information. Malin had previously worked for eight other families, seven of which experienced cases of typhoid, resulting in a total of 22 people contracting the disease, some of which died. Soper needed hard evidence of Mary's affliction, however, and this required him to collect samples of her blood, urine, and feces, a feat that proved to be anything but easy. At first, he attempted to speak with Mellon at her new place of work, and after hearing what he required, she was so outraged that she chased him out of the home with a carving fork. Barely making it out unscathed, Soper figured he would need some backup. At the second attempt, he brought an assistant with him to Mary's home, and still angered by their presence, she cursed them out so badly the men ran away in fear. Coming to the conclusion it would take even more to persuade Malin, Soper handed over his research to Dr. Biggs of the New York Department of Health, and after he agreed with Soper's findings, Biggs enlisted the help of Dr. Josephine Baker. Now extremely suspicious of doctors and health officials, Mary refused Baker's request. Not one to give up easily, Baker returned to Malin's home once more, this time with an ambulance and five police officers in tow. Mary met the group at the front door with a long kitchen fork and lunged at Baker. The doctor dodged her attack by stepping backward, but in doing so, knocked the five officers down the front steps and Mary was able to slam the door on the group. By the time they were able to open the door, Malin had vanished. Searching the empty home, they eventually stumbled on a set of footprints leading from the house to a chair pushed up next to the fence outside. Baker and the officers searched both the neighbors and Mary's property for five hours. Eventually, they came across a blue piece of fabric caught in the closet door under the outside stairway leading to the front door. Mary was dragged from the closet, kicking and swearing up a storm. She was lifted onto the ambulance, and Baker restrained Malin by sitting on her chest all the way to the hospital. The doctor later described the ride as being in a cage with an angry lion. At the hospital, Mary was forced to provide samples of her stool, which tested positive for salmonella typhi. Soper then published his findings on the subject of healthy carriers, like Mary, people who are able to transmit typhoid fever but do not exhibit any signs of the illness themselves. Spread through the lack of hand washing, the disease was most likely to be circulated by cooks. Immunization from typhoid would not be developed until 1911, and an antibiotic treatment would not appear until 1948. But in the meantime, something had to be done about Mary. Proved dangerous to the health of the public, Mary was transported to North Brother Island, where she would be quarantined in a cottage for the following two years. During this time, 
The gravity of her condition was never thoroughly explained to Mary. From what she understood, she was healthy and did not believe that she had the illness in any sense, which explains her reluctance to cooperate with doctors. The fact was that she was a single female Irish immigrant who relied on her wages to provide for herself, and this whole healthy carrier issue was detrimental to her ability to do so. Because of her labels in society, few of the public rally around her belief of the unjustified and forced study of her condition. Mallon still took her case to the Supreme Court in 1909, where she took the position that she was not ill and was never given due process before her confinement. The court ruled in favor of the health department and stated that they, in fact, did what was right because individual liberties were at stake. After all, 3,000 New Yorkers had been infected by Salmonella typhi as of 1907, and Mary was believed to have been the main source of the outbreak. On top of everything, Malin was made the butt of many jokes, cartoons, and even appeared in medical dictionaries under her new persona, Typhoid Mary. Things only started to look up for Ms. Mallon in 1910, when a new health commissioner was appointed in New York. This health official believed that Mary did not need to be quarantined, and that if she agreed to report regularly to the health department, he would find her a position in domestic work sans cooking. It was made clear that she should never return to her former position. Once released, on February 19, 1910, Mary vanished. In 1915, Sloan Maternity Hospital in Manhattan made news because in the span of three months, 25 members of their staff, including doctors and nurses, came down with typhoid fever. When investigated, the hospital claimed that the only new hire within those months had been a cook, Mrs. Brown. This Mrs. Brown was an alias used by Mallon who chose not to abide by the commissioner's requirements. The main reason used to explain her actions was that the health department failed to find her domestic work as profitable as cooking. Mary did work as a laundress in the beginning of her release, but was unable to support herself with that work. Malin also still considered herself healthy and did not believe she could not cook. If she had garnered any shred of sympathy from the public within this time, it was crushed by her endangering the people of New York once more, and using a false name to do so made her seem all the guiltier. Malin was transported back to North Brother Island on March 27, 1915, where she would spend the remainder of her 26 years in confinement. On Christmas Day, 1932, Mary was found paralyzed on the floor of her home after having a stroke, which prevented her from walking again. For the next six years, Malin lived primarily at Riverside Hospital on the island and took comfort in her religion until her death on November 11, 1938. Her body was immediately removed and buried. By the time of her death, Mary was held responsible for 122 people infected, which included five deaths. It is also worth noting that at this time as well, more than 400 other healthy carriers of Salmonella typhi 
had been identified by the New York Health Department, but Mallon was the only one forcibly quarantined. Mary's cottage was demolished after her death, but she spent the majority of her last years at the hospital, where her spirit is still said to remain. After the hospital closed in 1942, ten years later, the facility was reopened as a juvenile drug treatment clinic. An orderly on duty during the program reported seeing a woman walk down the hall only to turn into an opened room. Thinking that one of the patients had gotten out, the orderly followed down the corridor and turned into the exam room. There, the space was found empty. From that moment until the present, reports of a woman walking down the halls of the abandoned hospital continue. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover, or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help out and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas.